Lord, you are worthy, you are holy, you are faithful, and we thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, nobody but you could, nobody but you would, nobody but you did, and Lord, we just thank you and praise you, and we pray that we would never take that for granted, never take it lightly, the great cost that was paid, that shows the incredible love that you have for us, that while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to suffer and die in our place. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher tonight. Lord, may man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. If you came in a little late and you didn't get a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Amen? Amen. How do you you know I'm not teaching the Book of Mormon up here or something? (laughs) you don't have your Bible out looking at it, you got to keep your pastor in line. Amen? So open up the Bible. Get that thing out. Make sure what's being taught is really what the Bible says. All right. Now, Judges chapter 15, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Encourage you to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll be starting a new letter this coming Sunday. We finished 1 Thessalonians last week. Now, we're going to continue to look at this ignomatic character named Samson, right? The enigma that is Samson. Samson's name means bright. Samson's name means sunny. He was called by God to be light, to bring the children of Israel back into a restored relationship with him and to deliver them out of bondage to the Philistines. Samson not only was called by God, but it was a unique in the way that God did it. What did God do? God sent, God came himself to earth, Jesus came, and showed up and talked directly to Samson's parents who had not been able to have children and told them they were going to have a son and told them what kind of man he was going to be and prepared them and said, you know what, he's going to be separate, he's going to be uniquely and divinely called, and you know what, I'm going to get, put my spirit upon him, but you know what, he needs to take a vow from day one, the Nazarite vow. Real quickly, if you remember, Nazarite vow had three main things to it. Number one, no alcohol. Have no wine, no grapes, no, nothing to do with alcohol, no fig, nothing that could be made out, alcohol could be made from it, nothing in a vineyard at all. Second of all, He was to touch nothing that was dead. Because, again, he was the light of the world. I mean, going to be the light, representing the light of the world, Jesus Christ who was to come. But he was sunny, bright, the one that would draw them back, and he was to touch no dead thing. Again, a picture that we are not to associate with the dead things of this world, but we set apart unto God. Nazar, Nazarite, means to separate. Separated from the world and unto God. And thirdly, he was to never cut his hair. His mom was even told from the time that she was pregnant, don't even drink wine starting today. Nothing. He's to be separated. Now, we saw last week how Samson did with that program. Not so well. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to get the tape. But uh, I titled the message last week, Compromise the Enemy of Calling. Because... Here this guy had the most incredible calling on his life, but he chose to compromise in virtually every aspect of his life, and because of it, he missed out on God's highest. And as we're going to see tonight, God continues to use this man, but I want to make very clear to all of us, just because God's will is going to be done with or without us doesn't mean that we can then live any way we want. It's true that no matter how you live, God's will is going to be done with or without you. Aren't you glad that God's will isn't based on your faithfulness? Amen? 
Because it's based on His faithfulness. He's a faithful God. But at the same time, if we disobey God, we're the ones that will miss out on the spiritual blessings. And that's what we saw last week with Samson because he had three rules. And really four, because he'd also been told by God, the Word of God said, not to be unequally yoked together with the world. So he was told that he was going to be the deliverer to wipe out the Philistines. And we hear all these wonderful things about Samson, and we saw his very first recorded words in chapter 14 last week. This is the Pastor Dave paraphrase. Woman, get her for me. Those are his first words. This, this spiritual giant, this man that they've been waiting for, his first words are, woman, get her for me. Again, I know that's a paraphrase. Now, listen. The woman was a Philistine. He was supposed to kill the Philistines. Instead, he wanted to marry one. And the sad part about that is that when you married somebody, you were actually entering into a treaty between your people and their people. So he was completely rejecting what God had called him to do. But he saw her, she was a hottie, he wanted her, he didn't care what the consequences were. He went home and commanded his parents to go get her. Well, then his parents said, you're not supposed to marry a Philistine. And he said, I don't care, I want her anyway. I've been in counseling sessions like that. You look right at him and say, but the Bible says, that I don't care. I want it anyway. And I know it's not going to be long before I'm on the other end of it going, why did I do that? I don't know. We talked about not doing that. I've done it myself. How about you? You know you're not supposed to do it. The Word of God has clearly commanded you don't do it. You choose to do it anyway. And then after you've done it, conviction comes and then consequences. Amen? Here's Samson, he wants to marry the Philistine woman, he goes back and gets his parents, and on the way back to go meet with her, he goes through what, remember? A vineyard. Dude, you're not supposed to have anything to do with alcohol. What are you doing in a vineyard? Again, if you're an alcoholic or you struggle with alcohol, don't live next door to a liquor store. Amen? You know, if you're struggling with pornography, don't move next to the strip club. If you struggle with gambling, don't live in Vegas. Amen? I mean, the point is, flee from those things. And Samson walks right through the vineyard. We know that as he's walking through the vineyard, a lion comes out to attack him. Remember that last week? And it's interesting that while he's walking where he shouldn't walk, who shows up? A lion. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when you're walking where you shouldn't walk, guess who's coming right around the corner? Guess who's waiting for you? Now, God gives the way of escape when temptation comes, and we see that Samson grabs the lion and rips it in half with his bare hands. Now, that's pretty gnarly, right? So, he goes into town, he meets the woman, he goes back, now he's coming back for his wedding, and he stops by to look at the dead lion. Right? Because that's what guys do. I killed something, I want to go see it, right? So, he goes back by there to check out the dead lion, and there's honey in the carcass of the lion. Now for me, this would not be a temptation. Honey in the side of a dead animal, not so much. Not really all that appealing to me, amen? You know, dead lion Sunday, I don't think I'd want one, right? And here's what he does. He goes by and he sticks his hand in the, the dead lion and gets some honey out of there. Now, what was the second thing he wasn't supposed to do? Touch a dead, anything dead. And he's touching it, and yet what a picture of sin that something sweet was coming from something that really will bring you harm. It looks really good on the outside. It looks appetizing. You think it's going to be sweet to the taste, and it might be for a moment, but really what you're eating in is something that will condemn you and harm you, and that's what happened to Samson. So then he goes down, and 
Of course, since he's getting married, he's got to have a bachelor party. So they bring 30 Philistine guys in, since he has no friends among the Philistines. And they have a drunken party. This is the guy who's not supposed to drink alcohol. He then comes up with a riddle, if you'll remember. He thinks he's got it over on him, and they're all going to have to buy him 30 sets of clothes. Now, in those days, most people only had one or two sets of clothes. So basically, they're going to have to buy him 30 wardrobes if they can't solve the riddle. And the riddle was basically him talking about him eating something out of the lion. If you want to look, it says it in the previous chapter. It says, what is sweet... Oh, oh that's the answer. We don't want to look at the answer. But it said, the question was, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of, out of the strong came something sweet. There's no way you could answer that. Oh, that's a lion, right? You ate honey out of a lion. There's no way anybody's coming up with that answer. And so they feel like they've got, been gotten over on, right? Like, wait a minute. You invite us to your bachelor party, and now you're going to make us all buy you 30 sets of clothes. So they go to his wife. Now, in those days, they would have a seven-day wedding feast, and on the seventh day is when they would consummate the marriage. They're coming down to that seventh day, so they're married, but the marriage has not been consummated yet. That's a key point. We'll look at that tonight. So what happens then is that on that seventh day, she comes to him and starts crying and says, you know, the, the men come and said, if you don't get, find out the answer to the riddle, we're going to kill you and your father. This shows why you don't get married based on lust, because they didn't even know each other very well. And instead of being on the side of her soon-to-be husband, she takes the side of the Philistine men. Again, if you marry somebody who doesn't know God, they're going to be on the side of the world every time, because they don't know your God. Amen? And so what happens here is that she takes the side of the Philistines and she cries and cries and finally we know that he was he-man and she-weak, right? And so what did he do? He told her. Well, as soon as he tells her, she runs and tells them. Then they show up and give, her the, give, them, give the answer to the riddle. He's now got to buy 30 sets of clothes. What does he call his wife? A heifer. It's in a text. He calls her a cow. He said, you know what, if you hadn't been plowing my heifer, you would have never got it right. And so here's the point. He had to have her, and now after seven days of drinking, she's a cow. And that's why lust is not a good basis for a marriage. Amen? And he's so upset, he goes down and kills 30 men of Ashkelon to get the clothes he needs, and brings them back to the Philistines, and he's so upset, he interrades, leaves, and goes home. Now, let me ask you a question. We're going to move on to the text now, but if you went to a wedding... And right before the vows were finished being said, the guy turned to the woman he's going to marry and called her a cow. You're a cow. And then he got mad, killed 30 people, and drove off. Would you think that they were still married? Would you think he's coming back anytime soon? Absolutely not. And sadly, we're going to see that Samson just doesn't get it. And the reason is, is he's motivated by his flesh. I titled the message, the message title last time, again, was Compromise the Enemy of Calling. Tonight, it's fleshly motives, the enemy of spiritual blessing. Fleshly motives are the enemy of spiritual blessing. We're going to see that Samson is God's anointed deliverer again, but he's operating according to the flesh. And in spite of it, God is still going to accomplish his will he's still going to get it done because he's god and i'm so thankful that man can't not mess up god's will we can either be a part of it 
or he'll do it in spite of us. Amen? He'll do it with us or without us. He's faithful, he's God, he's in control. If that were not true, we'd all be in trouble. I'm glad I'm not worried about anybody else but the Lord because he's faithful. Now, some could look, as I said before, at Samson's life and say, well, if God's going to do it with or without me, I can just live like the world and it's no big deal because it's all going to be good. Well, it'll be good because God is faithful, but you'll miss out. You'll miss out on God's highest. You'll miss out on the spiritual blessings. Your family will be impacted. Your marriage will be impacted. The people you come into contact with, it will have a negative impact on the world around you if you do not serve God. So it does matter. It's also true that our actions have consequences. No matter whether we walk in obedience to Him or we walk outside of His will. And it's certainly true of Samson, this man with this incredible calling, this great gifting, this, this man that is in the hall of faith, and this man that could have been a Daniel. He could have been a Samuel. He could have been one of those men of God in the Bible, and instead, you don't see a whole lot of people naming their kids Samson today. And the reason is that Samson did not do well with what God gave him. It's been said you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. And Samson was such a man, but yet listed in God's hall of faith, which should be an encouragement to all of us that our God is a God of grace. And our God can use us no matter what we've done in the past. Amen? Amen. Even if it's for a moment. You know, Samson blind, as we'll see next week, God still uses him. God can still use us, for, but for my, what, but a moment. So here's the problem with Samson, and we'll look at the text. He was a man motivated by his flesh, not by the Spirit. Even some of the things he does are going to turn out to be exactly what God wanted in a sense, but his motivation behind it does matter. The ends do not justify the means. It's never okay to do what is wrong just because it turns out right. Amen? Somebody marries an unbeliever. Three years later, the person gets saved. They're walking with the Lord. That doesn't mean you counsel people. Go ahead and marry an unbeliever. It's okay because maybe it'll turn out all right. No, no. It was still wrong and sin for you to do that. Amen? And here's the point with Samson. Samson's a man who God's going to use in spite of himself. But again, it makes me wonder the man he could have been. What would he have been like had he walked in the Spirit? So, fleshly motives, the enemy of spiritual blessing. Just three points tonight. Number one. Motivated by lust, Samson returns for his pagan wife. Motivated by lust, he returns for his pagan wife. And we need to learn that lust can keep us from the spouse God intended. Lust can keep you from the spouse God intended. We don't like to hear that, but it's true. And it also will bring destruction to the marriage you're already in if you allow lust to rule in your life. Second of all, motivated by hurt feelings and pride and anger, he seeks personal vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Not vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Dave. Amen? It's the Lord who does it. And we're going to see that motivated by the flesh, motivated by feelings and pride and anger, he's going to disregard what the Lord wants and do things his own way. And then thirdly, we are going to see Samson finally cry out to God, but even in that, he's fleshly motivated. Sometimes people cry out to God, and we can even make it appear like we're really seeking the Lord, but ultimately, we're really trying to manipulate God. 
We're really trying to get God to give us something we want. Guys, God is not dumb. Does He know your motivation? Does He know if you're trying to manipulate Him? Like half the televangelists on TV, just say it and mean it. And, yeah, uh, right? and then God's got to stop it already. You're not going to gripe God into doing anything. Amen? You're not going to you know, force Him to get... He doesn't do that. It's all according to His will. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because Jesus is the one interceding at the right hand of the Father, but also because when we say in Jesus' name, we're saying we believe it's in accordance with His will and His heart. So don't say, Lord, give me, make me, give me, make me famous, make it all about me, bless me beyond my socks in Jesus' name. Oh, no, stop. Glorify Him in Jesus' name. Amen? Let His name be magnified. So let's pick it up in Judges 15. Fleshly motives, the enemy of spiritual blessing. Point number one, motivated by lust, Samson returns for his pagan wife. Look what it says. After a while, in the time of the weed harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. So he's taking a goat to visit the cow, right? (laughs) He's going back with a young goat. Now what has happened a short while later. Now, it says that it's at harvest time. That's May, June. So the harvest is coming. It's probably, we don't know for sure, but it's probably been months. He stormed out of the wedding. He went down and killed 30 people. He called his wife a cow and he left. He's been gone for months. But you know how lust operates? Lust has a selective memory. It does. It remembers being fed and doesn't remember all the other stuff that went with it. Doesn't remember the scare of somebody being pregnant out of wedlock. Doesn't remember the scare of getting a sexually transmitted disease. Doesn't remember all the other stuff. Doesn't remember the condemnation, the struggle, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lust has a selective memory and remembers only that which feeds it. And some time had passed and here's Samson... This woman, when he saw, remember, get her for me. He's forgot the cow comment. He's remembering when he first saw her, and he's remembering again that he's a man, and he wants to be with that woman, and now he's going back and decides to bring something with him. Bring back a goat so he can have a barbecue. So Samson comes back for this pagan woman. Now, this is your pastor's opinion, but let me give it to you. My opinion is, God gave him an escape hatch out of that marriage. They didn't consummate it. So while she's called his wife, the marriage was not really a marriage yet. Was God's will for him to be married to a Philistine? Absolutely not. Were they supposed to be in treaty with each other? Absolutely not. And God, by his grace, even though the guy was drunk and a total mess, got him out of there. And now what does he do? He goes back for more. God gave him a way of escape, delivered him from it completely, and he says, oh, man, you know, well, I forgot all about that, and I'm going back. And Samson, going down, one thing on his mind, he wants to sleep with his wife. Now, that lust had a selective memory. He forgot that she was a pagan, idolatrous woman, that she had betrayed him to her own people. He remembered only the physical attraction. Look what it says. Then it says, Samson visited with his wife with a young goat and he said, let me go into my wife into her room. 
So Samson, driven by fleshly motives, was willing to settle for less than God's highest because he already knew it wasn't God's highest for him to be married to a Philistine. And he said, I don't care. I want to be with a woman so that she's going to have to do. She's here. I want her. That's it. And I don't care what God says. I don't care what you know, my parents, my godly parents say. I don't care about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do it anyway in order to satisfy the flesh. Let me tell you something. Less, lust is a hard driver. Amen? Why is it that so many people are addicted to pornography on the internet? Why is it that so many people would do something as foolish as to leave their, their marriage bed and go and sleep with somebody else with the very real possibility it's going to destroy their marriage, their family, their relationship with their children? And people do it. Why? Because lust is a strong driver. And this is exactly where he's at. I want to fulfill my flesh. I'm more worried about this moment right now than all the consequences to come. Isn't that what happens when we, when we step out into sin? We're more worried about the immediate gratification than the long-term consequences. This is Samson. He's going back. He wants to be with her. We've already had the you know, six days of the wedding feast. It's time for us to be together. But look what it says. But her father would not permit him to go in. This pagan father had more sense than God's chosen man. He said, no, you can't go there. You can't go in there. And you know what? I'm a dad. And if some guy called my, wife, my daughter a cow at her wedding, I wouldn't be saying you're not going in there. I'd be putting caps in his knees or something, right? <laughs> pop, pop, you're not going in here. How about sit down? You know, Don't ever come back. Drag you out of town behind a mule, right? I mean, what are you doing? Can you imagine someone calling your daughter a cow at her wedding? I don't think so. You're done. Now, I think the only reason this guy's not more aggressive, he knows a little bit about Samson. You know, he's heard from his daughter because he, to he told his soon-to-be wife about the lion, didn't he? To tell her about the honey being the lion, he had it said, I tore the lion in half with my bare hands. Dad knew this. No doubt word had come back. He went down to Ashkelon, killed 30 guys. It's been some time. Word's come back. This guy wiped out 30 people. He's picking up lions and tearing them in half. I'm just going to say, uh, no, not so much. I don't think it's going to work out. You can't really go in there. Now, why couldn't he go? Look what it says, verse 2. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Is that a reasonable statement? Yes. I read some commentators that said, oh, I don't know why that he would say that he thought... He called her a cow. He called her a cow. He left their wedding and went home. I'm thinking hate. It's interesting that that word for hate is used in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 3, in connection with divorce. It says, if a husband detests or hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce. So the word he uses here even has a connotation of, I thought you hated her. I thought you divorced her. I thought you were done with her. Now, what would a dad do? Here's your daughter again, especially in a pagan environment. He doesn't know God. His daughter's there. They've had a week-long feast. How embarrassing would it be if you're about to be married and the man you're about to marry called you a cow and left? What does dad want to do? Pick up the pieces. This is my girl. What are you doing? So what did he do? This isn't right in a sense, but at the same time, from a pagan perspective, we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like they don't know God. Amen? So what does he say here? 
I thought you hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. I gave her to the best man. When you left, we were already having a wedding feast. My daughter was in the dress. I mean, it was all happening, okay? You embarrassed her. You bailed. So I gave her to another guy who was willing to take her because I didn't want to leave my daughter standing there being the cow that Samson rejected. Amen? And so she got married to the best man. Now, Samson went away, called her a cow, showed her hatred, left, and now he comes back thinking she's just going to be there like waiting for him. I have to confess as a man, sometimes we have that kind of selective memory with our wives. Amen? We say stuff, we forget it, don't we? I mean, like, we forgot it like a minute later. We go to work, we come home, she's still mad. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? And I'm like, why are you mad? She's like, you don't even remember what you said. I'm like, no, I don't. that true or what here's samson it's been months dude's totally forgotten he's again pastor dave's opinion right he's coming back he thinks she's going to be waiting after all i'm samson she should be very fortunate to have me and he's coming back and what a kick in the stomach he gets to find out when he goes to go in to be with his wife he's got to go with him he's taking barbecue you know a little romance probably wine seeing as he doesn't care about that vow and you know what a little wine a little barbecue a little dinner and i'll be with my wife it's going to be great and uh, not so much oh uh, i give her to somebody else she's already married can't touch this sorry now samson knowing the kind of man he is how do you think he's going to respond he's not going to be so happy because he's Samson and he thinks he can do whatever he wants and still get what he wants. I gave her not only to someone else, but your best man. So he's married to her, you're not. Again, not the best idea, but remember, this is a pagan father. So we shouldn't be surprised. Now, knowing that we shouldn't be surprised, look what else this pagan father says. I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. Now, I think this has got to be that he is just plain stinking afraid of Samson. Because if someone calls my daughter a cow, I'm not giving them their little sister. sister. Amen? You call my older daughter a cow, get out of here. But I think he has an idea that this is who Samson is. And I think he, you know, or he just has a lesser value of giving his daughters away. I'm not sure which. But he says, you can have my younger daughter. Isn't she prettier anyway? She's prettier. Take her. And here's the truth. I'm actually surprised he didn't do it, in a way. Because Samson was only motivated by what he saw anyway, wasn't he? Wasn't he motivated by... It wasn't like he had these lengthy, deep, four-hour-long conversations with this woman. Right? He wasn't on the chat line with her 800 times. You know, he wasn't writing letters back and forth. He saw her. Woman, give me. Want. That was it. That was his, the only conversation he really had in depth was when she cried, he told her and she betrayed him. So now if this one's younger and prettier, why not? But that's not Samson because Samson feels like, no, I want what I want. You don't tell me what I want. I tell you what I want. I wanted her. You took her. Okay, you're in trouble. You're going to have to deal with Samson now. Son of Sam coming out, right? Samson, right? So here comes Samson. He is not happy. And he's going to respond in a way that shows that he's a man walking in his flesh. 
Again, while we might want to blame the father or the daughter, ultimately, the reason he's in this mess is his Samson's fault, right? He should have never been courting or talking to this woman to begin with. In Proverbs, it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I was a youth pastor for a very long time. And I saw teenagers get their hearts broken in a very short amount of time. And for us, we would look and think it wasn't a big deal, but for them, it was very real. Maybe you're even here, and even as an adult, you've given your heart to somebody, and then it's been crushed. And I'll tell you what, that's a hard one to recover from. It says we need to guard our hearts, not be so quick to, you know, I tell people all the time when you're courting, slow down. So we got to get married next week. Oh, you're not in love. You're in lust. You're in heat. Relax already. You know, because you just need to slow down a little bit. Now, an eight-year engagement, that's too long. But an eight-day engagement, that's too short. You know, wait upon the Lord. Do things in God's timing. Well, here's Samson. Let's see how he's going to respond. Motivated by lust, he returned for his pagan wife. Lust can keep us from the spouse God intended. Secondly, motivated by hurt feelings, pride, and anger, Samson doesn't seek righteous judgment, but vengeance. I'm gonna get even. How dare you treat me that way? Who do you think you're talking to? I'm Samson. Just see what I did to that lion. You're gonna be next. Have you heard about Ashkelon? You're on the list, man. That's Samson. Look at verse 3. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. When he got the 30 sets of clothing, do you notice he left the Philistines and went down to Ashkelon to kill the people? Why? Because if he married a Philistine, he would have had a treaty with the Philistines and he would not have been able to touch them. They would have been his family. Now he says, okay, you took my wife from me. This is his mind. You let her marry somebody else. I'm not joined to the Philistines anymore. So now if I kill all of you, I'm going to be blameless. Now, does this sound like this is something the Lord's putting on his heart? He sought the Lord in prayer and realized that God's divine judgment was upon the Philistines. So he sought the Lord. He raised up a mighty army among Israel and they turned away from the false idols and they went down into the land and wiped out the Philistines as God commanded. Is that what the verse says? No. It says, you took from me. I'm coming to get you. I'm blameless now. Here it comes. And you know what? It's coming. The marriage covenant would bring hospitality between Samson and the Philistines, but now it had been broken. Samson was supposed to be light in the darkness, and instead he's going to be out of control, prideful avenger. Not godly zeal, but ungodly anger. You know what? There's a big difference between the two, you guys. Sometimes we can, we can disguise you know, ungodly anger as religious zeal. But that's not what this is, because we don't see him seeking the Lord. By the way, we've yet to hear Samson cry out to God about anything. All we've seen Samson do is coast on his own, you know, fleshly desires. And, his own, and again, even though the Spirit gets put upon him. What an enigma. Now look at verse 4. Now watch what he does. Doesn't this look like a teenager who's mad? Watch what he does. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. 
And he took torches and, t- and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. Now the word for foxes there in the original language could also be jackals. So whether it's jackals or foxes really doesn't make any difference to me. They're both mean animals. He tied their tails together and then tied a torch to their tail and lit it on fire. Now why would you do that? He wants to get even with the Philistines, and he wants to do it in a radical way. Now, some people would say, how in the world are you going to get 300 foxes or 300 jackals? This is the same guy that ripped a lion in half with his bare hands, okay? Did God put all the animals on the ark two by two? God can do anything he wants. People struggle with that. I don't think he could do it. I don't think he could do it. It's not how great, it's the size of your God that you're struggling with, amen? Because you, if you understand the greatness of our God, these are not problems for me at all. So Samson rounds up either 300 jackals, which are really mean dogs, basically, or 300 foxes, and in either case, he ties their tails. Can you imagine that? Got them by the neck, get over here, and he holds them and tying their tails together. I don't know how he did. And then he stuck torches in them and lit them on fire. Now, at the very beginning, we heard it was harvest time, Right? Guess what? Everything is very dry at harvest time. And so, if you set 150 pairs of foxes or jackals on fire out into fields during a very dry time, what's going to happen? Everything is toast. Look at the next verse. Look what it says here. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Now, the Philistines were in charge. They were large and in charge, okay? They were it. They were, nobody messed with them. Israel was fearful of them. And here was their annual harvest time. This is their fruit from the entire year, in a sense. Some of it has already been gathered and tied up in shocks, right? Tied up and bound. And the rest of it is yet to be taken. And it's interesting, people think, why did he tie the foxes or the jackals' tails together? Well, if you put one on a single fox, he might just run straight back to his den, right? You tie two of them together, they're probably going to be gnarling at each other and, and totally fighting with each other and going in all different directions all over the place. And as they're running, they're low to the ground. You can't even see them. But can you imagine the noise of 300 foxes or jackals running in all directions, running from the fire that is attached to them while they're attached to another animal? What a mess. And in the midst of it, everywhere they go, fire's breaking out. The Philistines, can you imagine you're sitting down having your dinner or whatever, and all of a sudden, whoa, 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 what is going on? You look outside, and every, in every direction, whoa, fire's going everywhere, and animals barking, and whoa. You know what? Samson didn't want to just get even. He wanted to do it in a spectacular way. He wanted everybody to see it and know it and be blown away by it. Samson, man of the flesh, all about vengeance, didn't say, oh, Lord, I put him into your hands said, oh Lord, they're in my hands, and I'm going to get them, and it's going to be spectacular. So this noisy, low to the ground, heard and not seen, the whole year's harvest going up in smoke. These are the Philistines who have been ruling over the people. The attack no doubt blindsided them. They never saw it coming, never could have imagined. And even in the midst of Samson's selfish and vengeful vengeful actions, God is going to bring judgment upon the Philistines right here. Because God had already said he was going to do it, didn't he? But his motives are all wrong, but God's will is being done. 
God's will will take place, but Samson's going to miss out on the blessings that would come if he was doing it according to God's will. So, how do the Philistines respond? Well, how do you think they would respond? Look at verse 6. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law, they still call him the son-in-law, of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. Everybody knew what happened to Samson. And I have an idea that probably didn't make him any happier. Because it's one thing to be embarrassed or one thing to lose something, and it's another thing that everybody knows. Well, guess what? Everybody knows. And so the word is out that this is what has happened, and Samson's the one who did it, and the reason behind it is that his wife was taken from him. Now look at verse second half of verse 6. I find this very interesting. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now wait a minute. This woman was a Philistine and so was her father. These were Philistine people and they came and set their own people on fire because they had offended Samson, which then caused him to burn down their crops. Why did she betray Samson? Who remembers? Last week. Because if she didn't, what was going to happen to her? They were going to burn her with fire and her father. I find it interesting that she betrayed her husband, and the very thing she was afraid of is what happened. God does not reward betrayal. Amen? God doesn't reward when we do those types of things. Well, the circumstances are heavy, and I'm just going to have to walk away from my covenant with my wife because it's just too tough. And I mean, God's not going to reward that. God's not going to honor that. Well, you know, it's just better to leave than to stay and fight. You know what? Stay and don't fight. How about that? <laughs> Amen? You know, we want to make excuses for why it's okay to abandon that thing. And that's what she had done. She had betrayed her husband. And had she gone to Samson, imagine if she'd just gone to Samson. Now, it wasn't God's will. We know it. But imagine if she had gone to Samson and just told him, Hey, Samson, the Philistines are threatening me that if I don't, the guys at the wedding, if I don't tell them, they're going to burn me and my dad. What do you think would have happened to those 30 guys? He'd have broke them off like he did the guys in Ashkelon, right? They'd have been done. She should have turned to her husband instead of turning to the world. Well, she didn't know God, so she turned to the world, and guess what? In the end, she got burned. She got burned because she didn't side with her husband. She betrayed him, the man that would be her husband. Guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? When we're disobedient, God's name is shamed, and we miss out on God's blessing. We don't obey, so we will be blessed. But when we obey, we are blessed. Because God gives us commandments out of His love for us, because He knows it will be best for us. So guys, let's obey the Bible tells us that the highest form of worship is obedience. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He says it's better to obey God than to make the greatest sacrifice in the world. He says your offering means nothing if you don't obey. You come in here and worship with your hands up all day long, but if it doesn't impact your life out there, it's not really worship. You can worship God in the way you do your job. 
You can worship God in the way you speak out to the world. The way that you live to obey is better than sacrifice. Had he obeyed, God's will would have been done, but Samson would have been blessed. Now because he disobeyed, there's pain that came with it. Because even though he ended up not being married to this woman, we're going to see in the next verse that for seven days or for however long it was, he thought he was going to marry her, and now she's been burned alive because of her relationship to him. And you know what? Even though, in a sense, from the world's perspective, she might have deserved it, Samson's not going to be happy. Because first he's seeking vengeance for himself. Now he's going to seek vengeance for his wife, his, quote, wife that was given to somebody else. Look at verse 7. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take vengeance on you, and after that I will cease. This is a play on words. You know what he says? I'm taking vengeance on every single one of you, and after all of you are dead, then I'll stop. You thought it was bad when my wife betrayed me, and I went after the film. You burned my wife a lot. Okay, you're done. I'm done with you. Now, was God's plan always for Samson to be the leader to go and attack the Philistines? Now, it's happening, but the motives are all messed up, aren't they? So that means that God's will is going to be done. It's just that Samson's going to miss out on the blessing because he's doing it for the wrong reason. He's doing it to get even, not to obey God. So we see here, Samson's anger is going to grow. Vengeance is mine, I, I will repay, says Samson. And I'm not stopping until I'm done with every one of you. Now notice, Samson's not leading God's people to bring deliverance and righteous judgment, but here he is being the Lone Ranger. Have you noticed that Samson's always alone? When he fought the 30 guys in Ashkelon, by himself. God wanted him to raise up an army. He wanted to get the people's eyes back on God. He wanted them to turn them back to the Lord. And instead, he's leaving them all behind and says, I'll do it myself. Because they messed with me. It's fleshly motives that are leading him. And it's because of fleshly motives he's going to miss out on God's blessing. Verse 8. So he attacked them. He attacked them. We don't know how many for sure. A large number. And it says, he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Hip and thigh. I thought, what in the world does that mean? And the truth is, we don't know for sure. But, some supposition. It is absolutely an expression of a cruel and unsparing slaughter. But some believe it's talking about the fact that he had no weapons. And he literally kicked them and, you know, used his hips and and beat them senseless with his own body, no weapons involved. Some say it was even a wrestling term. So he made them grapple them one at a time, put them on the ground and just snapping them off and going and getting another one. But whatever he did, he killed them. He said, when you're all dead, I'll stop. Well, whoever was there was dead. Now, Samson, this one-man army, is tearing up the Philistines all by himself. But a judge was to rally the people together to fight against the enemy, but Samson never does that. The only reason he fought against the enemy was for revenge for himself, not because 
he was honoring the Lord and doing it for God. He was just a hot-tempered guy. It was anger, revenge. His attitude was wrong. Then it says, And dwelt in the cleft of the rock Etam. Samson, a fugitive living alone in a cave. These are the consequences of living a self-centered, fleshly life motivated by revenge. You end up by yourself. Amen? You know, you live a life totally motivated on getting even, and yeah, you know, I'm going to get even with that guy, and I'm going you know, to return evil with evil, and I'm just not going to stop. You're going to end up by yourself. Because there's not a whole lot of people who want to hang out with that guy. And Samson was a man of vengeance and anger and bitterness. And instead of being God's man, instead of being amongst all the children of Israel, instead of leading them back into the worship of the true and living God, instead of seeing God's hand upon them as he brought them into the Philistines, he's wiping them out, which is what God ultimately wanted, but he's doing it according to his own will. He's missing out on the fellowship. He's missing out on the blessing because he's doing it himself. Verse 9 and 10. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. It's interesting that Lehi, we'll talk about that in a minute. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Now, they brought up with them a huge group of men. Because they went all the way, they were stacked up all the way to Lehi, which was some distance away. So this was thousands of guys. Understand that the Philistines were the most technologically advanced people on the planet and had the greatest weapons of anybody on the planet. They had metal weapons, shields, swords, helmets, all of it. Thousands of them mounting up. Here they are. They're after one guy. Now, we know there's enough of them that 3,000 men of Judah are scared, right? And they also have given up on standing up for the true and living God. They've given up. You know, couldn't they use a deliverer right about now? Oh, God sent one. What's his name? Samson. But he's not doing what God called him to do. So these 3,000 guys are standing there scared of the Philistines instead of Returning to the true and living God, they're willing to live amongst idolatry because the one God sent to deliver them is off doing his own thing instead of witnessing to God's people and getting their eyes back on the true and living God. See, this is the consequence of doing things your own way. People around you who God divinely put there for you to witness to are not hearing the gospel. Co-workers who God set right next to you are not hearing the truth of the love of Jesus Christ because you're too busy doing your own thing. And you're missing out on the blessings that come and the people around you are missing out as well. So, the people of Judah, when the Philistines come, they just wanted to coexist. Remember, Judah is one of the 12 tribes, right? The Ju- Judah was the one that led the way to the wilderness. The lion of the tribe of Judah is who? Jesus. Now, Judah's there. They just want to coexist. And when, when a, thousands of Philistine soldiers show up in your territory... That's not a good day for you. You don't like that. So Samson has now become in their mind not the deliverer they were looking for, but a troublemaker that's causing them problems. That's what happens when you're motivated and doing things your own way. Instead of being the deliverer and the one that could bring peace and bring them the joy of the Lord, instead, he's just a troublemaker getting in the way. And so the children of Judah are now going to side with the Philistines 
over Samson. How does that happen? Samson never led them. You can't lead, in, you don't, can't lead if no one's following you. And no one will follow you if you don't take the time to invest in them and minister to them and bring the truth to them. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Could he have brought the people back to God? Absolutely. Was that not what God wanted him to do? Absolutely, but he chose not to. He chose not to because of his own selfish desires. Look what it says, verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I also have done to them. That sounds like a five-year-old. They did it to me first, so I did it back. That's what I thought of when I read that verse. I got kids, right? Well, he did it first, but he had me and I hit him back. I mean, that's just, that's kind of the mentality here. This wasn't, well, the Lord directed me. You know, it was God's heart for me to do this. What have you done to us? You've brought thousands of soldiers into our camp. We just want to coexist with them. Samson, what have you done? Well, they did it to me first. So I did it back. Well, is, is that the answer from God's chosen leader? Is that the answer from the man filled with the spirit of the living God? And yet, that was the way that Samson responded. Samson's excuse for his behavior was that he was responding in the flesh, repaying evil for evil. The Bible says as Christians we are not to overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. The Bible says, you know, even unbelievers treat those who are kind to them in a kind way. The world's going to know who you are because you're going to treat those who are unkind to you in a kind way. Amen? That's what's a reflection. And yet Samson is living like the world. Verse 12. But they said to him, we, they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Man, they're supposed to be wiping out the Philistines. They're supposed to be on the same side. It'd be like, you know, the U.S. soldiers taking the general and giving him to the Iraqis. That's what's happening here. Because he has not led them. Then Samson said to them, swear to me, that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will not surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, it could be, and I don't know, that Samson maybe here is starting to get it a little bit, at least at the moment, because he's really protecting who? The children of Judah. Because if, they come back. Could, could, Sam, could he have gotten away? Yeah. But he knows if he leaves, what is going to happen to the children of Judah if they go back and the Philistines find out they didn't bring Samson? They could be slaughtered. It also could be, and I think this is probably more likely, that Samson is afraid of nobody. And Samson said, I'm not ceasing until you're all dead. Oh, there's Philistines down there. Really? Okay. Well, yeah, take me down there. Don't kill me, because I'd have to let you, but I'm not letting them. And so, yeah, yeah, you want to take me down? Let's go. And that's Samson's heart. They thought two ropes would hold him. They didn't know Samson, did they? They didn't know this guy. But again, no prayer, no discussion with God. Samson operating in the flesh, 
And so too those who should have been leading are operating completely from a temporal perspective. This is a reminder to me of the Jews who delivered the Messiah, right? They bound him, didn't they? They would not kill him themselves, but they would deliver him to the one who would. And it's interesting that it's the tribe of Judah doing it because Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. I don't know what that all means, but I just thought of it, okay? (laughs) Verse 14, now look. They bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. So when they brought him down, were the Philistines a bit angry with Samson? What has he done so far? Burned all of their year's produce to the ground and then slaughtered a great number of them who came and had burnt up his wife and his father-in-law, his soon-to-be wife at the time, right? So they're not happy. He's enemy number one, Samson. They come shouting against him. They got their swords in their hand. Now, from the world's perspective, this looks like Samson is game over. If you step out and 5,000 hell's angels come charging at you, swinging chains, what are the chances of you surviving? Not so good. Drop your knees and pray. That's the only chance you got. Amen? In this case, they're charging at him. Men of war. You know, these are Goliath's homies right here, right? And they're coming with shields, and they got the swords up, and they're running, and they're shouting, oh, right? But guess what? Here's the great equalizer. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Ooh, things unchanged. 5,000 hell's angels swinging chains, and one guy filled with the Spirit of living God with God on his side. Game over. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? God's not impressed with weapons. They don't really mean a whole lot to him. Didn't we see back in Judges chapter 3 that Shamgar killed 600 men with an ox's goad, which is basically a stick? David kills Goliath with a rock. This is the greatest warrior they've got. Watch what happens here. So the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And I'm always amazed that the Holy Spirit keeps coming on Samson. I was talking to somebody about this last week. Nowhere else, maybe I'm wrong, correct me, but nowhere else in Scripture do you see the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody while they're in rebellion. Usually they get in rebellion, the Holy Spirit leaves. But here with Samson, God's going to get his work done, even with this guy, and he puts his Holy Spirit upon him when he's in total rebellion, and watch what happens. And the ropes that were in his arm became like flax. And flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Can you imagine what that scene looked like? Samson is standing there with a jawbone in his hand, just breaking people off. A thousand guys with swords. Oh, they're shouting. Samson's Oh, jawbone, I got that. You know, and he picks up a bone off the ground. These are trained military men. They're charging him, and he just puts them all down. Now, I believe there was a lot more than 1,000 guys because 3,000 men of Judah were afraid of them. They may have just been afraid because they were Philistines, even in 1,000, but I think there's a lot more than 1,000. I think he killed 1,000, and the rest ran away. 
you know, when he's killed 10, okay, but 50, 100, 200, 300, 400, they're going, dude, not so much. Run away, right? Flee. Samson has one thing on his side, the Lord. God is for us who can be against us, amen? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he wipes out a thousand men. This shows us, the reason he lets a guy with a, an ox goad kill 600 men, the reason he uses David, a shepherd boy with no armor, to wipe out Goliath, and the reason he allows Samson with the jawbone of an ass to kill a thousand men is because God wants us to know that he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He wants us to know that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because if the man was a military great man, then we would, blame, we would say it was because of his greatness. But because he wasn't, because he was alone, it was because of God's greatness. Again, I wonder if the 3,000 guys of Judah thought about helping. You know what I mean? They probably didn't know who to root for. They thought he was a troublemaker. They thought, someone said, man, we're really going to be in trouble now. He just killed 1,000 more. What's coming now? I think I would have said, Samson, what's the secret here? What a great opportunity for a testimony, amen? You wipe out 1,000 guys and say, that's the hand of God right there. But sadly, that's not what Samson does. Know again that you plus God is a majority. And instead he writes a poem. <laughs> We're almost done. Look what it says. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. In the original language, it rhymed. Someone tried to put it into English. I'll try. It says, with the jawbone of an ass, I have piled them in a mass. <laughs> this is kind of what he said. Now, who's getting the credit here? Is he talking about God? The mighty hand of God used a mere man like me. No, with the jawbone, I wiped them out heap upon heap. Look, at they're piled up everywhere. I've killed a thousand men. Really proud of himself. This is a man motivated by the flesh that when God does something great, he takes the credit. We're to touch not the glory, amen? amen. You should take credit for nothing. God did it in spite of you, amen? I mean, God does it. And we should never take the credit, ever. People get mad at me if someone ever says to me, I was really blessed by the message. I will, I, and I don't take, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace and I blow it. But you'll, I'll always cry, oh, praise God. And I'll, well, you can take, you can take the, uh, uh, no, no, I can't. Maybe you can, but I can't. No. Take no compliments, amen? Because isn't the Lord the one doing it and we're simply tools in the hands of the master? We don't praise the drill, we thank the dentist, amen? And we shouldn't be praising the drill. And sadly, here he is, the drill going, I have, you know, done 3,000 root canals or whatever, you know. I've wiped out 1,000 men. Now watch what God does, something really simple. We're almost done. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi. You know what that means? It means height of jawbones or jawbone height. Because of the jawbone, you see all these dead bodies? Because of the jawbone. Jawbone heights. So, 
He was motivated by hurt feelings. Samson seeks not righteous judgment, but personal vengeance. Last three verses. Samson finally cries out to the Lord, but watch what motivated him to do it. Verse 18. Then he became very thirsty. Don't you love how God can take something really simple to make us look up? He let him wipe out the men because that was his plan. But then he said, okay, I want you to look up, Samson. So here's what I'm going to do. How about no water for a while? Maybe then you'll realize you need me. You know, often after triumphs come trials. You know why? Keep you humble. Keep me humble. Just after you think you got it all figured out, you trip in front of everybody and make an idiot out of you. God's saying, see, you need me. Stay desperate for me. So now he's thirsty. He became not just thirsty, but very thirsty. And he needed it to be reminded of his need for God. Then he says, And he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Wait a minute. That sounds pretty good. God, you gave the deliverance. Why? Because he's thirsty. If he wasn't thirsty, these words would not have... Because how do we know? Because look what he says. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He should have stopped halfway through the sentence. He looks at God and says, Oh, yeah, you know, you did it, Lord. You brought the deliverance. Now I'm going to die out here, aren't I? You're going to let me just die and be delivered into the hands of the... You're not going to take care of me, are you, Lord? Verse 19, we're over time, so let's finish. So God split the hollow piece that is at Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, he called the place in Hakor, which is Lehi, to, in Lehi to this day. That means spring of the caller, that he called out to the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer. But notice again, he didn't call out to God in repentance to get right. He called out because he was physically thirsty. And then it says, and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistine. He did judge Israel, but notice it says, in the days of the Philistines. you know why? Because Samson never defeated the Philistines like God had called him to do. He never did it. He judged, he was there, but he never fulfilled what God had called him to do. So in closing, fleshly motives, the enemy of spiritual blessing. Number one, motivated by lust, Samson returns for his own pagan wife. Lust can keep us from the spouse God intended, and it can bring destruction to our marriage that we're in right now. Number two, motivated by hurt, feelings, and pride and anger. Samson seeks not righteous judgment, but personal vengeance. Pride and anger and hurt feelings will take us from a godly and spiritual response to our trials to a fleshly and physical one. Remember, the trials are an opportunity to reach others for Christ or for us to blow our testimony. And then lastly, Samson finally cries out to God, but sadly, it was because he was motivated by the physical. It's like the person who cries out to God only in the midst of sickness. Only when there's no money. Only during physical trials do they cry out to God, not because they want to draw near to God, not because they're broken before Him, but because they want their problem fixed. And as soon as it is, they go right back to the way they were. May we not be that way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we worship You, Lord. And I pray, help us, Lord, to not walk in our flesh, not be motivated by our fleshly desires, but, Lord, be filled with Your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, may you lead and guide and direct our every step. Lord, may we be desperate for you, not reliant upon ourselves. Lord, when you bring the great victory, may we never take the credit. Lord, may we never touch your glory. May we always point people to you. Father, we want to be men and women who are obedient to the calling you've placed upon our lives. Lord, we want nothing less than your highest. Lord, may we not settle for less than your highest in whom we marry, in the calling you place upon our lives in ministry. Whatever it is you have for us, Lord, may we be humble, broken, desperate, in love with you. And Lord, I just thank you and praise you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you've filled us to overflowing. And Lord, may we walk in the center of your will, Lord, fully reliant upon you, less of us, more of you, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close with a worship song.